that was beautiful, and I apologize, there were no words on the wall, because the, as beautiful as that was played, the true beauty of the song is found in who it was played about, Jesus Christ and why he came. So take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and turn to First Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And while we're turning, we'll go ahead and dismiss the children. If you're in four years old, the fourth grade, you can head on out the back for a special service in our lunchroom. And uh, they have a lesson prepared. Now, pray for our young children as they head out that today's lesson is on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for the gospel to be ministered to their young hearts. And so let's definitely be in prayer for them uh, as they hear that message this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is not necessarily a Christmas passage, but my desire this morning is to get you in the mood for Christmas. Now, I am much, I am a Scrooge, so I don't know if I'm the right person for that job, but uh, hopefully you'll understand where I'm going with that. I find myself before Thanksgiving telling Miss Anderson, who's here, to turn off the Christmas music in the office. It's an odd time. Play some Thanksgiving music. And there's no Pandora station for Thanksgiving music. We've tried, and it just isn't there. So uh, anyway, I don't know what you do uh, to get in the Christmas spirit, whether it's music or decorations or anything like that. Um, I, yeah, I struggle to get into the Christmas spirit. I always wanted, when I was a kid growing up in Colorado, I always wanted snow for Christmas. Just something more Christmassy about Christmas if there's snow uh, out here. <clears throat> it's not going to happen. So uh, I also like a real tree. If we're going to have Christmas, let's make it, you know, let's, let's really enjoy it by, you know, killing a, a tree and putting it in our house, enjoying the smells. And so uh, this year we put up a fake tree and I was really struggling getting in the Christmas spirit and until I realized it was three parts and you pull it out of a box and to put it back is going to be so easy. And there were already lights on it. And the Christmas spirit just came back to me. It was a, it was a beautiful thing. Then I looked over at my son, Ethan, and he was celebrating Christmas. His face is swollen up like a red Christmas ornament. And he got into something on our property and uh, is having quite an allergic reaction. In fact, they are on their way to the doctor right now. So if you think about it, pray for Ethan. Didn't mean to take the Christmas spirit out of you, but uh, pray for Ethan that they'll figure out what it is. All right, so as we approach Christmas, we come out of Thanksgiving, and it's interesting how the world does it. They, we celebrate Thanksgiving, and then before we can finish choking on the turkey, we got to be in line to buy stuff, you know, for Black Friday. And of course, with COVID, it kind of spread that out a little bit, so maybe not so much this year. But how do we, how do we generate and maintain uh, the Christmas spirit. And should we have the Christmas spirit? Well, this morning I want us to look at this passage of scripture and see how Thanksgiving naturally should overflow into a Christmas spirit. And my desire for me and my family for our church is that we would have this kind of Christmas spirit throughout the holiday season. This passage here in 2 Corinthians 9 does not explicitly talk about Christmas, but it does imply what I would like to call the Christmas spirit. So if you look with me, starting in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9, it says this, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he that dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both ministereth bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but it is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal distribution unto them, and unto all men, and by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. For us to properly understand this passage and what it's speaking of, we need to know the context. And so the context is this, the church in Jerusalem was struggling. If you remember, as you read through Acts, the church in Jerusalem grew by thousands at a time. One day, 3,000. Another day, 5,000. So the, the church in Jerusalem was growing, and, and they found they had need to minister to the wives and to the fatherless. And so they, they had deacons come alongside so others could spend their time, the apostles could spend their time in the Word and in prayer. And yet, as this church continued... It continued, and it had great need. In fact, it was a very poor church. There are a number of reasons why the church in Jerusalem was very poor. First of all, it was filled with pilgrims who came and went. They would come in uh, as they traveled to Jerusalem for different occasions, and they would go. So there, the, 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 the size of the church was not represented so much by the people of Jerusalem, but by many people coming and going. And there was great persecution of the church by religious leaders that in the Jewish community, you have to understand that that would have poured over into business and their community relations. And lastly, Jerusalem was very poor because the Roman, uh, the Roman conquest and occupation took taxes and on top of that more. So, so it was a very poor church. And so Paul, as he's traveling around to the churches in Asia Minor, is actually asking these churches to give to the church in Jerusalem. And that is exactly what this passage is. Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church about giving to, giving to the needs of the church in Jerusalem. And so what does that mean for us today in 2020? Well, though this passage is not primarily about Christmas I think it plays right into the context of today and our desire to be thankful, our desire to resist materialism, especially during this time of year, and our desire to live out the gospel uh, and to live gospel-centered, motivated lives. So the gospel of Jesus Christ produces thanksgiving in believers that translates into generous living in our communities. And I want us to see that in this passage, that that. The gospel of Jesus Christ, as it comes and lives within us and dwells within us, it produces thanksgiving. And that thanksgiving is not just horizontal. It translates into a vertical relationship to our community. And we live generous lives as we allow the gospel to permeate our lives. And so let's look at this, the foundation. What is the foundation for generous living? 
What is the foundation for generous living? We would think the foundation for generous living is that we have much. I mean, can you be generous if you don't hardly have anything? And the truth is, generous living does start with what we have, but really it starts with who we have. Notice here in 2 Corinthians 9.6, and this is how I would like to define the Christmas spirit today, uh, is in verses 6 and 7. Look at verse 6, it says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. The, the idea here is sowing bountifully. This is speaking of, of, a, of a generosity of a lifestyle. Sowing, obviously spreading seed that will take root and grow up. And it's the idea that, that you disperse or you cast out from you in liberality, in generosity. And so it's speaking financially, that the passage is speaking finan- uh, primarily about a financial gift from one church to another. But I believe that the, it follows... Uh, That purposeful generosity uh, can be anything of value given to meet the needs of another. Obviously, money and finances is definitely a way to show generosity. Being in the ministry and, and being at this church, I and my family have benefited so much from the congregation. You have been very generous to us. Throughout my entire life, God has allowed uh, me to go without need. But I think it speaks more than just finances. Oftentimes, those who have much give away much without it costing them anything. In fact, I think it was Warren Buffett who said, who has given more than probably all of us will ever see together in our life. He said he never gave away anything that made him have need of anything. Even though he has given so much, it never cost him really anything. This generosity goes beyond finances, though. It could be time. It can be words. It can be forgiveness. Obviously, acts of kindness. You can be generous in heartfelt, kind, and uplifting speech. You can be generous with your family, with your possessions, with your home, etc. Think about it. What do you protect most as your own? At the end of the day, what is it that you cherish most? Your family, your children, your spouse, your quiet time, you can be generous with whatever you cherish. And so, as we read in Scripture that he says, He which sows sparingly reaps also sparingly, he that sows bountifully reaps bountifully. During the Christmas season, as Christians, we should be willing to sow bountifully with seeds of generosity those things that are most precious to us. It's not easy, though. There are certain things that that I feel like I need to protect as mine. And yet, as Christians, we're given a foundation for generosity that should cause us to hold the things of this this earth lightly. God honors generosity. In fact, we read some in in, uh, Proverbs this morning. It's in your bulletin about the generosity. Pastor, excuse me, read that passage on generosity. Let me read a few more verses to you about generosity. Proverbs 22, 9. He that hath the bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Is that you? Do you have a bountiful eye? Do you look to bless others? 
Notice in 2 Corinthians 9.17, or excuse me, 9.7, it goes on and it builds on this idea of sowing bountifully and it says to sow cheerfully. Every man according at the purpose in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful, bountiful giver. As believers in God, we should pay attention to verses of Scripture that say, this is what God loves. We recognize that there is a general love that God has for all men, and and we see that every morning as the sun rises, as it rains and nourishes the earth. There's a general grace, a common grace, that God in his love distributes to all men. And then there's a saving grace that God demonstrates to all those who will believe in Jesus Christ. But on top of that, uh, more than that in believers, there are things that God loves from his children. And so we should take to heart those passages of Scripture. And God, it says, loves a cheerful giver. Not grudgingly or out of necessity. Not because we have to or because our tax liability is just too high. The idea that I would rather you have this than the government is not what it's talking about when it's talking about being a generous and cheerful giver. I mean, if I could be honest, I would keep this, but it is more advantageous for me to give it away. So it might as well give it to you. This is not speaking of the person who loves to give. By the way, we don't discount that, and there is a big movement out there to take that away from churches. I'd encourage you to resist that. Your businesses. But when God is speaking, he says he loves a cheerful giver, a person who is motivated to give what is precious to them for the benefit of those who have need. This kind of generous living rejoices in giving away those things. It doesn't just say bountiful and cheerful. I want you to notice that it says purposeful. There's purposeful giving in this passage. At the beginning of the, of the verse 7, it says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. What does it mean to be purposed in your heart? It means that there's no set amount, right? It it means that the Lord, as the Lord has blessed you and as in your relationship to God, as you have opportunity, purpose in your heart to give what you believe is, is right and appropriate. It also describes having thought or direction to your giving. I don't know, I know last year around this time, a, a picture went out on Facebook showing what, how much of the dollar actually went to the charitable organization. And as I was researching that again, it said this is not totally accurate. So as I started to read, it was things like he doesn't, the, the CEO doesn't drive a Rolls Royce, he drives a Prius. Oh, okay, that's good. All right. So it was things like that. But the question is when you give, A person who is giving to satisfy their conscience or to ease their conscience doesn't care where it goes. But a person who is purposefully giving looks for the need and gives to meet a specific need. We just finished a food drive here at school and we raised or brought in more food by far than we have ever done in a school year. And so we we called Helping Hand and, and we said, listen, we do this every year. Uh, typically we send over some of our student government and they help you pack your shelves and organize the food and they bring over a donation from our school as well. And they said, well, we can't have you do that. Uh, We can't have you do that because of COVID. So you can bring it, 
uh, and unload it, but you can't really help us in the, in the store area. We said, we understand that. We're happy to help in any way that we can. She said, well, we're just so excited that you're bringing this to us. Uh, a lot of schools haven't been able to run their fundraisers and so uh, come and drop it off. We got there, and there was more food in that building than I have seen in 12 years. They had packed food into their offices, uh, and you had to walk around their desks to set stuff. It was so full, which is it's a wonderful thing, and we're excited to, to donate. But it's interesting here as we give, as you have opportunity to give, give with purpose to those who have need, not just to those who talk about helping others. Have purpose in your giving. It's interesting, as you think about a purposeful, cheerful, bountiful giving, God says, as you purpose in your heart. He doesn't say... And if you follow teachings uh, from other religions, they say you have to give 2.5% of everything that you own to people in your community. You have to give this or that. The Bible talks about a tithe in the Old Testament. The word tithe is the word 10%, right? And it's a great place to start. But think about this. God is not giving you a specific amount. He's saying as you have been blessed and as you purpose in your heart. Now, remember there were some people who gave for the wrong reason in the book of Acts, a married couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And it's so interesting to me uh, what happens in this story. Here, Ananias and Sapphira at the beginning of the church, the, the New Testament church has just started and it's growing, and they're seeing people donating and they're excited about it. We want to be a part of that. I mean, look, they're getting recognized in front of the whole church. And so they give and God kills them. What? <laughs> Is, what? What happened here? And it's very interesting, as, as Peter speaks to them, there is a recognition that their giving was not, it, he says, you didn't have to give any of that. But when you gave it, you gave it for the wrong reasons, and you lied about it to God. Listen to this verse from Acts 5.4. While it remained, was it not thine own? It's talking about a piece of property. When it was yours, when, when you had it, it was yours. And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? You, you didn't have to give any of this. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And what he's saying here is, look, God was not requiring anything out of your hand, but you gave with the wrong spirit, and you gave for the wrong purposes. So as we give, we need to recognize that God loves a cheerful giver, a bountiful giver, but he loves a person who gives with purpose giving with purpose the generosity that god loves is purposeful bountiful cheerful this is how i would describe the true christmas spirit by the way it is not natural for all people i do believe some people in the church are are gifted with a spiritual gift of generosity and i've seen it so often and it's it's such a blessing to see people who just can't give enough then there's people like me stingy creatures you know, I grew up in a large home, and if you didn't take it, it was, it was taken by somebody else. And so some of us operate off the principle, get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on the can. That was not in the Bible. We, our parents used to buy soda. I think I drank more soda than water growing up. And, and in our house... There was 11 of us, and we all lived off of soda. And so uh, we called it pop. 
But when I say pop, people are like, out here. Anyway, so we would hide soda from each other to make sure that when all the soda on the shelf was gone, <laughs> I got the last one. And so it got ridiculous because you never wanted a hot soda, so you had to hide it in the fridge. Well, the fridge is only so big. And uh, so you had to learn to look up under the glass shelves to see what it was hiding behind. Well, that, started, that wasn't good, so we, I hid mine in the applesauce can. Shoved it right down through the applesauce, and nobody could find that one. In fact, I forgot where it was until we had applesauce the next time. That's what I meant by the can, okay? All right, so we... This, this idea that I had to hang on to and clutch after... Uh, those things that are mine, I, I struggle with that. I struggle with that. It's a, it's a, it's a lack of faith and trust. Because if I don't care for Mark Rowland, who, who will look out for me? That goes totally against what the scripture is teaching. So what is it that, what is it that breaks that idea that I need to hold on to what is mine and to give it away? Look at verse 15. We're going to jump to the end of the passage here. This is the motivation. And it's, it's, it's so beautifully laid out. It says this, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Verse kind of seems out of place in this passage until you start recognizing what Paul is saying and trying to do is to remind the believers in Corinth that they had something that was of so much further value than things that by understanding what they had received in Jesus Christ, they released their grip on the things of this life. I believe that if we're going to be in the true Christmas spirit, we must understand what it means when God says he has given to us his unspeakable gift. And as we do so, well, as the song says, the things of this earth just grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The motivation for generous living is the insurmountable, indescribable gift of inestimable worth that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and the gift of Jesus is the foundation for generous living. This gift is given to us freely. The very definition of a gift is one that is freely given to those who will receive. And there's nothing more beautiful than recognizing that what we needed most, which we had no capability of purchasing, Because of the bankruptcy and the condition of our heart, God lovingly and graciously gives to us free. Jesus Christ is given to us freely. However, we need to understand that what was free to us was very costly to God. What was free to us is very costly to God. One commentator said it this way, If we are going to truly understand Christmas, we must first come to grips with Easter. Jesus was given to earth as a baby in a manger, but he was given to earth for the purpose of dying. Born to die is the name of a song that we sing. To be sacrificed for us. It's hard to comprehend that. But I think there's an illustration in the Old Testament that helps us to understand this kind of love. And that is the example of Abraham and Isaac. Genesis chapter 22 speaks of God's call on Abraham, and it's it's always a struggle for me to think through this, that here God had promised Abraham a son, and Abraham longed for that son. In fact, there were conversations between Abraham and God that were like, God, what's the point of all my riches if I don't have a son? And God said, I promised you I will fulfill that promise. And of course, 
When Abraham is 100, God gives him the son. Do you think he cherished that son? Oh, I bet Isaac was the most cherished of the house. Right? A miraculous child of promise. And in Genesis 22, God says to Abraham, take your most valuable, what you, what you love the most, take it up the mountain and kill it. What? I'm not supposed to kill? God says, take your son and sacrifice him to me. And Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his promised, loved son has always been difficult for me to comprehend. There, there's no conversation back and forth. It's, it's God says, sacrifice your son. And the next verse says, they rose up early in the morning and went. seems to me like Abraham was too willing to march Isaac up the mountain and kill his own son without hesitation. However, Abraham's love for God held nothing back. And that is a picture of God's love for mankind. It held nothing back. It gave to us the most loved. It says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave what was most precious 1 John 4, 9, we read it in the bulletin. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be that satisfaction for our sin. What was free to us was costly to God. But it also was valuable because it was just what I needed. There's a transition in life that happens when you stop receiving gifts you want and start receiving gifts that you need. Right? I remember very clearly when that transition happened in my life. Yay! Thank you! I wanted a suitcase. You need it. You're going to college. I'm very good at this, by the way. I mean... Things like vacuum cleaners, mixers, these are wonderful gifts of need. Don't write these down, men. They're not that great. Oh, yay, I can do more cleaning. <laughs> However, this gift of Jesus Christ was exactly what we needed. The free gift, the costly gift, was only for certain people, though. It was for sinners. If you've never lied, if you've never cheated, if you've never stolen, if you've never been angry or used hateful words, this gift is not for you. But if you have ever done any of those things, if you have ever broken God's law, this indescribable gift was given freely for you. You see, God is holy and lives in a perfect place. And in God's holiness, in his perfection where there is no sin, man cannot abide. This holy God is just as well. And in his justice, he must punish sin. And we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Coveting, lying, angry words, selfishness, hoarding things, disobedience. The wages of these things is death. And this perfectly just and holy God must punish sin. But there's this wonderful thing. Right? It's an exchange that was spoken of earlier. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, 
hath made us alive together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is an amazing exchange that happens. Have you ever been to a Christmas exchange? Right, a gift exchange? Have you ever gone to a gift exchange and received a gift that was much more valuable than the gift that you gave? Ooh, did it say white elephant on there? I think my gift looks like a white elephant gift. The exchange that took place was so unlike in value. My sin, the wrath of God that falls on me for my sin was exchanged for perfection and holiness and righteousness and heaven and acceptance with God. While I received the perfect righteousness of Christ, a home in heaven, an eternal acceptance, Jesus received a cross, separation from God because of sin. Because of my sin, Jesus received torment and anguish and rejection and ultimately death for me. This is the gift exchange. We have received exactly what we needed and more. Listen, if you're in 2 Corinthians 9, just turn over one page to 2 Corinthians 8 and look at how this exchange is described in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. It says this, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. You see, this gift of God that was free and yet costly was exactly what we needed. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive by the Spirit. You see, if we are going to live generous lives, we must recognize the foundation is that unspeakable gift which we as believers have received in Christ. And as we give our thought and attention over the next few weeks to the birth of Christ, let it generate within you a desire to let go of the things of this world and cling tightly to this precious gift. Look at how, in in this chapter, how the demonstration of their faith, the demonstration of their recognition of this unspeakable gift is not just mental, it's not just theological, it actually translates into daily necessities. You see, the gift of Jesus was purposeful, and it met my greatest need. Generous living is is, is purposeful. The gift of Jesus was bountiful. It brings me to God, and it gives me an incorruptible inheritance in heaven. Generous living is bountiful. The gift of Jesus was cheerful, motivated by love for sinners like me. God rejoices to offer this free and gracious gift to all who will receive. Generous living is cheerful. Because of this gift, the source of our generosity will never should never and will never run out. Look at this. 
2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he that dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Look at what it's saying here. You cannot outgive God the giver. You don't need to hoard. You don't need to hold on tightly. It doesn't matter if you grew up in a large family. God will take care of you. Do you see that in this passage? God is able to give you out of the storehouses of his grace all that you need so that you will not go without. His provision is both material and spiritual and eternal. Listen Listen to these verses that speak of the character and nature of our God. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with thy substance, with the firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Proverbs eleven twenty four. we already read, there is that scattereth and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. Proverbs 28, 27, he that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. God is speaking to the children of Israel who are withholding, like like God was some kind of selfish God that wanted to take away from Israel. And he says this, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouses, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me. Now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room to receive it. Luke 6, 38, Jesus is speaking. He says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. These are principles of Scripture. These teach us of the character and nature of our God who gave to us Jesus Christ, who says, I am able to make all grace abound to you so that you will not go without. Now, obviously, we are not preaching a health and wealth gospel where we go out and test God. Okay, God, I'm going to put 10 bucks in the offering plate, and I expect 100 on my desk by Monday morning. And if you do that, we'll just go up from there. It's interesting how quickly... The heart of man takes the goodness of God and twists it. Even when God says, look, if you're generous, I'll be generous to you. (laughs) Now I know how I'm going to get my new whatever. By the way, these verses are exploited all throughout our country by what we call health and wealth pastors who are trying to manipulate their congregation to give by forcing God to give us material goods. Notice at the end of this passage where Paul is asking the Corinthian church, give your material goods to the church of Jerusalem. He ends it by saying, thanks be unto God who give us this unspeakable gift of Jesus Christ. But let me just remind you that as we read these verses, if you give of your goods, you're not going to sit at your house starving, having to eat some salvation. Right? Right? I mean, I know I have Jesus, the unspeakable gift, but my kids are hungry. That won't happen. 
It says in this passage, he that gives, he will not only give you seed. If you spread your seed out, God will not only give you seed, but he'll cause that seed to grow into bread. He will provide for your needs. However, God's glory is the end game, right? God's glory is the purpose for generous living. Look what he says here in this passage of Scripture. Start, start reading in verse 11. It says, Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. While by the experiment of this ministration they, glory, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ. Look what he's saying here. He's saying, look, your purposeful, bountiful, and cheerful giving is causing thanksgiving to God, not only in the people receiving it, but in us, the apostles, and also you. Also to you who are giving are, are resounding with this thanksgiving. This honors God. But not only that, it's a demonstration of a living gospel. You see, the Jerusalem church was skeptical of Gentile churches. I mean, Corinth, when you talk about a Corinthian, you're talking about somebody who lives according to shameful lusts. And so as the church in Jerusalem heard of the church in Corinth, they probably thought, yeah, whatever. How can they be saved? How can they understand the gospel? And yet Paul is saying that the demonstration of generosity was motivated by this unspeakable gift was proof of saving faith. This tangible sacrifice of the Corinthian church made the Jerusalem church understand the genuineness of the confession of the gospel. And it is not an an illogical leap to say that we as believers should live generous lives as the outflow of the generosity of God to us in salvation and in fact becomes proof of salvation. By the way, that's why we say it's purposeful giving. Simple generosity does not show forth the glory of God, but purposeful, bountiful, cheerful generosity because of having received the unspeakable gift is testament to the salvation of Jesus Christ. I hope that this season, the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your heart will be demonstrated in this kind of generosity and that God will gain glory by our demonstration of loving gratitude and thanksgiving for this unspeakable gift. But let me encourage you this morning, if you do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, will you recognize today that this free gift, which cost God that which was most special and precious to Him, is offered to you if you will exchange your sin for Christ? If you will repent and recognize that you have violated God's holiness and God's justice demands your death. And yet you see the love of God demonstrated in this baby that came, Jesus, who grew up and died on a cross. Will you not receive that? Or would you turn away this unspeakable gift of inestimable worth?
It would be a shame to leave today having rejected once again the gift of Jesus Christ. Let's go to him in prayer this morning.